Welcome back, everyone, to the Real Weirdos Podcast. I'm Jesse, along with my buddy Alex, and we are the Real Weirdos, one and a half white dudes with English degrees who talk about movies for way too goddamn long. Today, I don't know if it'll be that long, but we're doing a little chat cast, a little movie dump sort of thing. Yeah. I was sick for uh, a full week. It's now been a full week of me sitting in a chair, dying, watching movies. And <laughs> Alex was like, we're, we're, we're about to record our um, episode on Iron Man and Morbius, which is, is, is its own strange thing that we're doing. <laughs> but Alex was like, what have you been watching? And so I figure we'll just we'll just talk about it because we like this. Yeah, we like this format where we just sit here and randomly talk about movies. So I'll, I'll name some of these movies that I watched this week because it was just a full week of watching movies. I don't have a girlfriend or anything, so <laughs> <laughs> this is what I did. Some chicken. But how are you soup. doing today, man? How are you doing? Tell the listeners what's up. I'm good. I'm good. It's been a while. Um, lots of movies have been watched. Lots of topics have been discussed in between last cast and now. So we are definitely backed up on material, which is good, right? You know, we, we have a plan going forward to sort through some, some stuff. Um, and I feel like if you're listening and you're into the more contemporary stuff and you're, you're like done with us reviewing 1940s films or misery, this will be a good, <laughs> you know, little segue into maybe a more current vein of discussion that we'll have on the channel where we talk about the specter of modern sim- cinema and especially i mean superhero movies because it can't be ignored we've we've reached the point where it's like just such a specter in movie discussion and we bring them up tangentially all the time that i don't know we're gonna focus at least on a little bit here and there so yeah well yeah we'll, we'll get into that whole superhero thing in the iron man or the iron morbius episode i guess we'll call it but yeah there's a lot of cool movies coming out these days and we want to talk about them we're going to talk about what what's on our list the north man yep um everything everywhere all at once yeah i which, think also we should cover that nick cage movie the uh unbearable the, the one weight. where he plays nick cage the one with uh pedro pascal yeah I'm down. Yeah, yeah, that looks interesting. And then there's like a, a Cronenberg has gone back to body horror. Yeah, yeah, it looked that movie looks really good actually. With Vigo, yeah, hell yeah, dude, hell yeah. But so yeah, we will be covering new stuff uh, soon. Um, but for now, let's talk about Doctor Zhivago. <laughs> no way. Did <laughs> yeah, you watch I that? Doctor Zhivago. Okay. That was um. So I have like 15 movies here of what I watched over over this week. Oh man! I watch more than that. But, so but that film, just, I'm glad you started off with it. That film is like very personal, has a very, very like close spot to my heart. But I'd like to hear what really? you thought about it first, honestly. Um, so I, I, I know I've seen it before, but I couldn't remember it at all. Okay. Um, David I thought Lean, it was right? really good. Yeah, it's David Lean, Got the it. director of Lawrence of Arabia, um, and only a few other things actually. I think he Most did Bridge on movies, the River Kwai. Uh, yeah, I think so. Big movies that he's done, like big productions, but he's an interesting cat Yeah, for sure. Bridge on the River Kwai was, was a huge one, and then he, let me see here. Did he do Beckett? 
Uh, no, okay. he did not do Beck. He did the the forty eight Oliver Twist, and then a bunch of movies I've never seen. Hobson's Choice was was a fun one. Okay, but um, he didn't make any big movies really until like I think Bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah, like the sixties. And then it was Lawrence of Arabia, Doctor Zhivago, and then he had a couple flops. Got and it. That was basically it. Uh, but yeah, Doctor Zhivago. I thought it was really good. It was not as good as Bridge on the River Kwai or uh. Lawrence. Of course, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. I think um, Omar Sharif's performance is a little bit one note. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wooden, um, honestly. He has like he has like this like wonder in his eyes. Oh. And that's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I think that's why he cast him. He has this really like kind of innocent look to him. But, but yeah, I'm curious though why it's such a personal movie for you. So... Again, I've talked about how I ha- my my grandfather when he moved over here from Italy, right? He uh, he became a studio musician for MGM RKO. He played the the violin, and so this movie is MGM, I believe. He was in the orchestra for this movie, and there was a moment where they needed a balalaika, which is like a traditional Russian stringed instrument. It's kind of like a mandolin, and they needed it to play Lara's theme, which is like the main theme throughout the movie you hear it like at the beginning you hear it throughout the middle it's just everywhere and he decided to restring a mandolin like a balalaika so my great-grandfather is actually the person who's playing the mandolin in laura's theme when you hear it in the oh, movie it's cool man yeah it's cool and i have the mandolin but it's very old it's very like decrepit and dusty but it still works it just stays in its case so you don't bust it out and serenade your your lovely girlfriend no. with the uh, <laughs> the balalaika, no. the, the Lara's theme. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, yeah. So that no. movie has always been like a huge part, right? They would always play it when we were kids and be like, "That's Grandpa up there, fucking doing his thing." And I'm like, "Damn, that's cool." Yeah, I wish I had a better. I don't know. <laughs> we kind we're kind of doing this off the cuff. I don't have like a like a, a spiel <laughs> set up for Doctor Zhivago, and I was also very sick at this time, mm-hmm. so it 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 does kind of run together. I remember a lot of scenes of him in the snow. It's a very epic production. It's very Russian, you know, right? Like very very Russian. Yeah, very sad. Yeah, specter of war haunting the entirety of it. Poverty, um, class, even, like oh yeah, poverty and class. I love, uh, I love the. For some reason, I love it when at the end they're like sequestered in this one room of this like ice palace. Yeah, you know, like this this old house mm-hmm. that's just completely been overtaken by the elements, except for the one room. Yeah, dude, snow. So much fake snow and real snow. So much fake snow. Yeah, like, I was reading about the the production and it was like unduly hot. It's probably just so all they're asbestos. they're wearing these fucking like fur coats, these like I Russian know. coats and Russian hats and you read like it was actually 105 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> You're like fuck those poor actors. Seriously. Jesus. Can you imagine Omar <laughs> Sharif just being like, "No, it was actually much more temperate on the set of Lawrence of Arabia." Like <laughs> I was able oh, to like man. get in the shade and cool down. It was it was dry, but Doctor Shivaga, they just like were blasting asbestos flakes everywhere into my face. Like, <laughs> dude, the coats though. You're right. Like, it's crazy to me because the makeup back then is so thick. Like everything is so practical. The lights are so hot. How do they just not? I would sweat all the time. Like I couldn't be an actor because I would just be always sweating. 
and well i guess they had they had like i don't know stage girls you know like yeah mopping the the faces of the actors that's awesome <laughs> which i don't know was that is that like the the equivalent of fluffers it's kind of like the, the kids that stand at the side of tennis courts right pick up the balls that go stray and everything and then they run back yeah. really quick yeah something like that or those dudes who wipe down the uh, the court after a player falls. Yeah, in, yeah. in basketball. Yeah, those guys yeah, in basketball. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's Doctor Shivago. Okay, it's really good. Is that in track um, with then uh, like your spreadsheet that we've talked about before? Like is that oh yeah, so that's sixty five. Okay. Yeah, I'm in sixty five on the spreadsheet. Nice. I don't know. If, I don't really want to explain that again. I guess I could. I'm just watching a lot of movies sequentially. Yeah. Um, go back to another episode <laughs> to <laughs> find that. Um, just going through cinema, but I kind of gave up on that. I go back and forth, right? Because it's it feels like kind of a chore when yeah. you're sticking to just like one year. You're like, I want to watch some other shit. So the next thing I watched, I just started like randomly picking things because mm-hmm. I was sick and I was like, whatever, that looks good. So I watched The Quick and the Dead. Got it. Which is a 1995 film from Sam Raimi, uh, who people know from making the original Spider-Man trilogy and before that, like Evil Dead, the Evil Dead trilogy, mm-hmm. which you have not fucking seen I know. for some goddamn reason, Alex. <laughs> I know. <laughs> need to get on that. It doesn't make sense. Ugh. This is like the only reality in like 10,000 possible realities where you haven't seen that. Right. And like, I've, it doesn't make sense. I've exposed myself. So let me, let me rewind that. I have uh, <laughs> consumed a lot of Bruce Campbell stuff. Like just even like little biographies here and there, little articles on the internet. I'll read like an article mm. in the magazine about him or something. And like, I've watched like, Ash vs. Evil Dead, a few li- little episodes here and there, which you know is like directly related oh, to it's it. It's a lovely show. Yeah. So it's like, it's so weird to me that like, I'm like riding on fumes of this guy's reputation, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell, but without ever having like digested the actual material that started it all. That happens a lot yeah. for me, man. I feel like there's a lot of it's- stuff like that. You need it just as a point of reference. Like, you do a podcast about movies with me. I know. <laughs> Come I know, on. Right? <laughs> um, but yeah, Quick and the Dead, it's... I don't know I don't know if this movie's good, but I really enjoyed it. Is this the Western? It's like... With yeah, Russell it's a Western. Sharon Stone Gene rolls Hackman. into town for, like, a gunfighting competition. Okay. <laughs> and it's, like, run by Gene Hackman, which is great. And then you've got, like, Russell Crowe and Leo DiCaprio in there and all these other, like, character actors... Okay. And it's just like a fun duel movie, like all these people doing duels, all these little characters. And it's just it's just like corny. It's fun. It feels very Sam Raimi. Like mid 90s. I think this is this is the first movie he did right after um Army of Darkness, I believe. Oh, okay. Which is weird and interesting. If if you've seen that, you can sort of Army like of Darkness, see the, the tone. The one with Aaliyah, the singer. No, no, Army of Darkness is the third Evil Dead film. I don't know what you're talking oh, about. <laughs> There's like a vampire film with, uh, there was a, uh, like a pop singer at the time named Aaliyah, who was like the, she was like the star. She was like a vampire in this okay. series, but she got in a plane crash and, and died. It was like really tragic. Oh, I remember the name Aaliyah, okay. but 
Uh, that's about it. You no, no. It I was love the movies. Army like of this, Darkness though. is the third Evil Dead movie. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't seen this one either because it's Gene Hackman. It's got Leo in there. I feel like I have seen this, but it was like a very long time ago. And it looks like a film that like two years, three years after it came out in theaters, came out in 95, it would be like running on like TNT in like 98, 99. And I'm sure I caught it then at some point. Yeah, maybe. I don't think it was ever very popular. But it looks really fun, honestly. And I mean, the actors in it are amazing. And I wanted to just bring up, you know, Russell Crowe pops up in Westerns more, more often than I would think. Like every once in a while, I'll, I'll see a movie and he's in it. And I'm like, hmm, what is this Ozzy mm. doing here? 310 to Yuma. Comes yeah. To mind with Christian Bale. That's a great movie. Oh, I love that movie. What other one? There's what another Western um, Crowe in. Shit. I, he's younger in it. Um. A Beautiful Mind. Dude, you know what? Is it true? The True History of the Kelly Gang, which was a terrible movie. Oh, I have not seen that. I want to. It wasn't very good, honestly. But it has cool actors in it. Charlie Hunnam is in it. Uh, there's another guy that's, in it. That's by uh, Justin Kurzel. It's a Justin Kurzel film. I did not know that. Yeah. It's interesting. The director of the 2015 Macbeth, which we love. And Assassin's Creed, which we love even more. Yeah. Great, great film. That's interesting. It's interesting you say it's bad. It's got a really good, uh, good meta score. Mm-hmm. Good, good, um, sorry, good, uh, critic score, but lesser, like, audience score, which is, which is usually a sign of goodness. It's too long for me, but too long. I'll have to revisit Two that hours one. and four minutes. But you know, Russell Crowe's an Mr. interesting Mr. Barry actor. Linden over here. Yeah, I know, <laughs> right? Two hours. <laughs> I know. Anyway. Do you do you anyway. consider Russell Crowe just a, like a, as a character actor or just at the time in 95? Um, so in 95, he was not very known to American audiences. It was largely Sharon Stone that, that like it. got him involved. Okay. It was like, this guy's good. She was like, Russell Crowe's got to be in there. And she also made it clear that uh, Leo had to be in there. Mm. I, I get the sense that this was like a Sharon Stone project. She even picked the director. Oh shit! You know? Okay, she picked Sam Raimi. So that's the amount of like pull that Sharon Stone had in the, the mid '90s. You know? Oh, I mean, she was. A Which is superstar. funny because you think about it now, you're like, oh, Sharon Stone. Yeah, she was an actress. Yeah, it's a classic Hollywood thing, right? Nothing against Sharon Stone, but it's like once you're over the age of forty as a woman in Hollywood, you just tend to disappear yeah I, I yeah definitely especially when you've like she played her part as like the sex appeal the sex idol i mean basic instinct right like oh my that god that famous yeah. scene even in casino like she she was great in that movie She's beautiful good actress yeah and well. i don't know i haven't seen her recently in she was in american beauty wasn't she she's the the wife which is like, I, I mean, that came out. remember. That came out Welcome to the chat cast, by the way. We're just going to go. We're just talking. Yeah. <laughs> just talking about movies for way too goddamn long. But no, that's interesting. It that looks it was like, like she's project. in stuff still. A lot of TV, a lot of movies I've never heard of. Got I it. I don't know. But yeah, I mean. It happens. She, you kind of like, they like blend into the background a little bit, but. She, it's stupid, man. She should be playing Tom Cruise's wife in these movies, but because Tom Cruise, you know, these, these actors have their ego, they have to have 
a woman who's just my age, you know, like early 30s. Or who's you know? been all plastic up to like they're 40, but they look like they're 22 or some shit like that. No, no, no. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I totally get you. Because I'm like, can I get a realistic like love interest or like normal, like middle aged like love interest? Doesn't have to be some like hot ass babe on the beach, you know? <laughs> yeah, just something realistic where you're like, come on. Come on, Hollywood. I mean, come on. Yeah. But either way, Sharon Stone is definitely talented enough to keep doing things. But I think it's interesting that this like quick and the dead thing was like her own little like pet project, you know, if you will. And I feel like when we've reviewed movies that are like that, usually it's directors like Wes Anderson or P.T. Anderson. Pet projects come off sometimes as like a little lukewarm, but I always like them more than just the really like cynical cash grab movies. Right. Like it's cool to see the mind of the, the artist at work. Yeah, and that's how I prefaced this. I was like, I don't, I'm not sure if this movie's good exactly, mm-hmm. if you're going to look at it critically, but I don't really care. It's a 1995 movie from Sam Raimi that's a, a fun Western. Yeah. With like character actors shooting each other <laughs> in duels, <laughs> in like hilarious duels, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So so that's that's the quick and the dead. Okay. It's currently on Netflix. Um, whenever this goes out, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but... I recommend it, especially if you like Sam Raimi and Gene Hackman <laughs> and Sharon Stone and Russell Crowe and young Leo. Seriously. Seriously. Um, okay. The next one is called Killing Them Softly. Uh, it's a 2012 film starring Brad Pitt, Ray Liotta, and Richard Jenkins uh-huh. from director Andrew Dominic. And this movie's fucking weird. It's not like Holy Mountain weird or like David Lynch weird. It's just like, I don't know what to make of it kind of weird. Yeah. The director, he made um, he made Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which oh. is an amazing film. Yeah. I love that film. And uh, something else called Chopper. I don't know what it is. But this movie, it's like, so Brad Pitt is a hitman. Uh, but he doesn't appear till like two thirds of the way through the movie, and it just sort of follows this bungled robbery or this robbery where the people who do the robbery, like the the people who they rob, find out about it. They rob Ray Liotta's card game. People find out about it. Brad Pitt gets called in to like ice the motherfuckers, and it's just a it's like a movie about conversations, mm-hmm. and it's a movie about these conversations that only sort of vaguely connect and it's like exploring these characters of this underworld and who they are with the backdrop of like oh my god <laughs> no i know i know what you're saying the movie is is very strange it runs in like such a weird vein of if you want to call it like gangster movies um yeah it does it 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 operates in that gangster land and at the same time you have like people be at a bar and the news will be on and there's this backdrop of like what's going on in around 2012 or 2008 possibly Mm -hmm. even though the movie takes place in 2012 anyway it has like all these things about obama and basically like what's going on in the world as a backdrop and in america and the movie's like somehow about America and about how this is like a really cynical society mm-hmm. where the only way to get ahead is to fuck people over. Yep. But the reason I'm having such trouble saying that is because the movie has a lot of trouble saying that, I think. <laughs> Bearing in mind, I was sick while watching this and I watched it over a week ago. 
No. But I, I, it was just weird. Like, I don't know what to make of it. You've seen this movie, right? I have. And I did not like it the first time I saw it. Um, I didn't like it because I thought it was a shit movie or it was terrible. There were just certain things like you're saying that I just felt it was very disconnected, disjointed, given I was a little younger. So I'm like, maybe I was expecting more of a traditional plot narrative. Um, well, you, you think like Brad Pitt as a hitman. You have this idea of it in your head. I did not like I, that didn't fit for me. You know, I don't know what it was, but I feel like having James Gandolfini really like brought home the like mobster type thing. You know, it was like an homage to like the Sopranos and his character there. But it was like. I felt like this movie was because it was during the like financial crisis and the first time that Obama got elected, right? Yeah, it came out in 2012, but I think it takes place like in the first Obama presidency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like this weird allegorical kind of symbolic representation, like you said, of what the state of the country is and how that affects like everyone on a micro individual level, where it's like everyone's just so machiavelli'd out right like they're all just about like fucking people over and rising to the top and i think that it honestly tracks with the trend that we see of machiavelli coming into the mainstream culture again you know you have like rappers on soundcloud talking about machiavelli you know you have sixth graders in history class learning about machiavelli and it's this interesting callback to a character in history who personally i believe was a fuckhead I mean, I get it. He writes about theories of real politic, the prince, whatever, right? That's important discourse to have when it comes to that shit back in the Renaissance and all that. But it was like this movie was so indicative of just trying to be like, we're cynical. Like we live in a cynical world and it's dog eat dog. And I don't know. I just don't buy into that shit sometimes, especially if it's not played right to me. It feels more understated than that. It doesn't feel like it's like in your face doing that. It feels like that that's, it's very present, but it feels kind of under the skin of it where you kind of have to dig to see that. Yeah. Or, or just look at it with the right kind of eyes. I don't know. I I did not dislike it. I think it. W- I was interested the entire time. Mm-hmm. I was very interested in what was happening. But it's definitely not a movie for everybody. Audiences fucking hated it when it came out because it's not exciting. It's not, I mean, it's pretty obtuse. Mm -hmm. It's probably pretty boring if you're not looking at it from like a kind of a literary perspective because it is like, you do have to do some mental work to try to figure out what's happening. And a lot of it is just these characters. Like you, you linger on James Gandolfini telling these stories. I know. You're like, who is this character? What does he have to do with the plot? Yeah. Like, what what are these stories he's telling? Why do I care? And you kind of have to just like think about it laterally. And I'm not sure how to state it better than that, other than to say, yeah, it's an it's an interesting movie. Yeah. If you if you read a lot, this is gonna sound douchey, but if you read a lot, it it might be really interesting to you yeah but general audiences no no not at all not at all i can see why people hated it and it's a fair criticism to not like that film weird yeah weird movie that's what we do though Should we right? move on we watch weird movies yeah what was the we next watch one? weird movies the next one is candy man oh, <laughs> 2021 oh, okay the newer one okay i was like damn the newer one yeah <coughs> i have seen both i only saw the first one like last year or okay. earlier this year for the first time because i knew the new one came out mm-hmm. and i forgot i forgot to watch the new one 
and then I watched the new one. It was pretty good. Yeah, it it like <laughs> I saw it too. I've seen the original one a few times. Like the original one was like one of those movies that like you would meet someone new at school or something and they'd be like, "Hey, have you seen this movie?" You guys would like watch it and it was all dark and shit and you'd be all scared, but the new one was actually like I was very much entertained the whole time. I thought it was scary, like maybe not like super scary, but I don't know, man. Horror movies and I are like weird because like the movie doesn't have to be immensely scary for me to think it's good, right? But some people judge horror movies that way. They're just like, hey, was, I like paranormal activity because I was scared. I'm like, okay, because well, fuck. <laughs> those movies are stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> But it's you're waiting for what you know is going to happen, which is a jump scare, which mm-hmm. is the opposite of tension to me. It's and that's not being scared; it's being startled. However, I yeah, I really enjoy horror movies. I almost never find them scary. They yeah. can be tense, but even if I don't find them tense, I can still recognize that they're well done. Like this Candyman movie, I really enjoyed it. I was not scared at all. I was not I was not like on the edge of my seat at all. Yeah. I was just like this is fun. I find horror movies fun if they're well done. And this is well done. It's 90 minutes. It has pretty good characterization. It's got some bonkers effects that are really cool. Mm-hmm. Um some nice practical effects, which is dope. I like um some of the shots. Like it's pretty good filmmaking in general. Uh it's just tight. It's clean. It does what it needs to do. Yeah. And um, I think like uh, general audiences will be spooked by it. So, dude, it's perfect it's running time at ninety-one minutes. It's like, which is pretty, pretty tight. Like that's short, almost. Dude, that is lean. Yeah, that like is, that is as lean as you can make it without being lazy. I know. You know? Like under ninety minutes is is lazy. Yeah. Unless you're like making films in the 1930s, right? <laughs> like, what did I watch? I was talking to you guys about this on Discord. I watched something that was 80 minutes. I I think we'll probably get there. Oh, it's the next one. That's right. Okay. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Do we have anything more to say about Candyman? No. Other than no, that, I didn't good. know the original one had two sequels that I've never seen. So. <laughs> no. Probably not worth yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of going under 90 minutes and being lazy, I watched Jonah Hex. Mm. I watched this on some streaming service. It was there. I was like, ah, it's got Josh Brolin, John Malkovich, Michael Fassbender. Yep. I know it's not supposed to be great, but I'll watch it. And Oof. It was, um, I, I don't know if I want to say it was like the Morbius of that year because it's not that bad, but I've never it was seen pretty it. bad. I've I've forgotten ninety nine percent of it. Oof. It was just so the the premise is like Josh Brolin is like I think he's like an undead cowboy or, or he talks to the dead. I've already forgotten this film, mm-hmm. but it's it's just it's just eighty minutes of cobbled together scenes that vaguely connect that are just you know there to have action scenes yeah and megan fox looking foxy (laughs) and uh it's 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 bad it's dumb it's forgettable it's it's not exactly generic it's generic in structure it's kind of a cool premise and i love josh brolin but yeah i don't know (laughs) it's it's 80 minutes of uh, you'll probably enjoy it if you're 13 i have never seen this movie but I, I remember when this movie came out. Um, yeah, okay. This is like the cowboy superhero thing. Yeah, it's like a DC movie, okay. I believe. 
You know, um, the cast is actually pretty solid. Like Michael yeah. Shannon's in it. Like, damn. Yeah, that's why I was like, I was like, I know this isn't gonna be great, but whatever. I'm sick. I want to watch something dumb. Mm-hmm. Whatever. You know, this was in my I'm gonna watch junk phase of the of the sickness. Yeah. Of my illness, because I went from killing them softly, and I was like, Candyman. Jonah Hex, and then the next one is Constantine. Hell yeah. Um, which we'll just jump over, because fuck Jonah Hex. No, yeah, like, dude. I'm sorry. I think they... I guess I... From what I understand, they, they tried to make a good movie, and the production just fell apart. Okay. Um, for whatever reason. But, uh... Shit yeah. happens, you know? They probably had to fund... Shit happens. They didn't Dungeon even have Siege. enough footage to make it 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's 81 minutes. It's not even feature length, and they had the gall to put it in theaters. The editor literally has no film cut on the floor at all. It's just done. Oh, <laughs> I had a thought. I remembered this. I had a thought while watching Jonah Hex, and I was like, ah, the poor editor. Like, you have to spend months out of your life editing this. <laughs> Sometimes I have... Do you have that thought when you watch a really bad movie? Well, I wonder always, like... So they give awards for editing cinematography, right? Which are two independent awards. But I'm always wondering, like, how much director did the, like, directing did the director do when he was, like, he saw what you were doing and he was, like, no, 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 I don't want it like that. Right? Like, so I don't know how much you can impress in your own artistic way. I'm sure they have, like, cool collaborations and agreements about which space they can explore. But... It is interesting to think about, like, what would you do if, like, Jodorowsky handed you the entire raw, uncut film of Holy Mountain, right? And as all an the editor, footage, and he's just yeah. like, go for it. Yeah, like, it, it would just be interesting. Or even the people on Quentin Tarantino movies, because his movies are very tightly edited, but he is such a, I don't want to say like a dictator, an authoritarian. He's just so involved at almost every level of filmmaking. But I don't know how deep he goes into every technical aspect. Um, I would guarantee that Tarantino is sitting there at the right. editing desk right. with yeah. the editor 100%. I think it varies. See, that's I, I have this thought as well a lot of the time, Alex. And I'm glad you brought it up just generally. Because we think about it all being from the director, right? And we talk about that a lot, mm-hmm. how it's the directorial stamp. But a lot of the times, shot composition comes from the cinematographer, mm-hmm. and the rhythm of a scene comes from an editor. So it is um, like a bigger gray area a lot of the time than we give it credit for. Like we talk about the director and the directing because that's an easy way of like elucidating what we think about a style. Mm-hmm. But there is more to it than that, to greater or lesser degrees. It's hard to know because sometimes the director really is in charge of like all this shit. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, looking through the camera, but sometimes not, you know, Kubrick, you have great cinematographers. Someone. Sometimes like a film, the, the director won't have any say in the editing. Yeah. Like a lot of these superhero movies. Oh, 100%. I think that just, it's just the studio. So that, that like, that's what I was kind of like going to bring up. That was like what I was getting at with my, my, discussion point was like it feels somewhat sterile sometimes in those situations when it's truly like non-collaborative right like you're in like a vacuum sealed assembly line room and you're like well this is the director's box i'm done with the film now i hand it off to the editors and it's just the studio who monitors all of these different like 
positions, right? And it's like maybe the editor and the director never even spoke to each other. They were just like, the studio was like, oh, we'll get an editor after. Just film the shit. We'll take it. We'll do our shit with it. I don't know. That I think that's weird. pretty rare. I think that's like, I think most directors care about what they're making. Yeah. Because they're spending at least a year of their life on it. And it, it's it's a rare circumstance when it's completely taken away from them. And a lot of the times they'll edit it themselves and make their movie before it gets taken away from them. Like um, a great example of, of some of the worst editing is the, the first Suicide Squad movie where like they hired a, a real director to make a movie and then completely just destroyed whatever his movie was mm-hmm. and recut it, <laughs> recut it, you know, um, without his, I don't know, blessing. Yeah. But but then it's all and you like to think that the it's only bad things that happen from that because usually it's like oh if the movie's good like that's probably because the director was able to fulfill their vision. Yeah. But then like there's the stories about how Star Wars the original Star Wars was saved in editing mm-hmm. because George Lucas's cut was just like flat and empty and like crap. <laughs> It like probably <laughs> so they had other people come in and edit it and make it what it was. Yeah, like so it's weird, man. Movies are weird. They're a weird collaborative like monster, and it's hard to disassemble that monster. You know, it is, especially when like everyone. I mean, we all do this. Everyone has a tendency to like when it comes to films, actors, director, maybe if you want to get into like screenwriters, and then that's pretty much it. And like the director and the screenwriter are things that even just a more moderate person, like a person who cares more moderately about cinema would, would care about, right? Like at that point, it's just like, Oh, I'm going to go see this new Adam Sandler movie. I like his stuff. And then it's like, it totally loses all like collaborative effort, at least optically to the audience at first. Right. But everyone knows who's into movies and who makes movies that it's like, it's, it's really quite insane how like you can get people to try and work all is like this one unit to make this this thing and if one part of it goes wrong it can all fall apart yeah it's amazing that movies work at all that's a it's amazing that they get made at all yeah which is fucking crazy like i think is a testament to when you see little directors like i'm just gonna throw this one out there but like david lynch films himself doing like weird little things or even like val kilmer right just carrying a, a video camera around with him there's something special about being able to film a moment and then like watch it back. And then it, that's just like a very personal thing. Right. But then you take it to this totally different level where you're just like, Hey, I filmed this thing. And you have like actors and writers and lighting guys and all these different people are like, okay, we could do this with it. And you stretch it out into this like crazy thing. So I don't know. It always brings the wonder back to me when it's like, when they talk about like the great train robbery or like the, the moon movie by George Melier, you know, where, oh, yeah. Trip to the moon. Yeah. Where like people watch it now and they're just like, this is so simple. Like how could it ever have been entertaining? And I'm like, well, dude, the biggest invention in the history of cinema was when a guy figured out editing. Yeah. Right. Not even editing. He would stop the, he would stop the camera and then restart it with an actor in a different position. Yeah. Which like played with temporality. Exactly. It played with space and temporality. Previous to that, people just had one shot. You'd have a a shot of a train coming at you. Yeah. 
It's like Mario, like Like the first Mario games, right? It's just like the side scroller, like 2D type thing where it's just like, well, we just, we can only kind of film like what the camera catches in front of us. It's like the human eye. But then, you know, you have someone who's not super invested in the directing or the story, just like a, a technical person or a collaborator off to the side that is like, you know what? Like, give me that. I can take it to my studio, dip it in that liquid and shit, cut it up. And like, you're right about editing and cinematography having like an almost gargantuan but like unspoken effect on how a film will do right go to hard rain for example like some of those shots and just like pans of like jet skis and like the rain and everything like that it was almost just like huh i wonder if this movie could have been cut in a different way and paced differently (laughs) to make it actually like man interesting that that might be a movie where the footage is just so bad but (laughs) it's hard to say alex is speaking about a a film called hard rain from the 90s it's a really terrible 90s action movie with christian slater and morgan freeman (laughs) morgan freeman himself recommends that you never watch it (laughs) this is true (laughs) it's amazing um yeah movies are a weird beast man that's why they're so interesting. You know, I'm do, I'm going to intersperse one in here. Mm-hmm. I also watched Aliens. Oh. Which is a movie I rewatch every couple of years because it's just fucking perfect mm-hmm. and so much fun. And that's a movie, maybe this is going to sound weird to some people, but probably not if you're listening to us. But that's a movie where I'm like, I, I marvel at the magic of movies. Oh it's God. so good. Every everything from the characterization, the effects, those beautiful, wonderful, amazing sets, the matte paintings, the rear screen projection used in all these like cool action scenes. Oh, it's yeah. just so perfect. It's movie making 101. It is the coolest thing. I love Aliens. Oh my God. It is <laughs> it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Probably it is a hundred percent. Like it's just, it's so good when I, okay. So when it comes to this discussion of the two big sequels that have outperformed their, you know, prequels or the first installments, you have Terminator two and you have aliens, right? Those are like the two first ones, baby. Those are the ones that people bring up. And I'm like, okay, like these movies are first off. I love the first Terminator. I think it's better, but that's just, I don't know. It's just a personal thing. I think the second one is fucking amazing as well. Um, I just like the introduction of the lore a little more. Um, But then when it comes to Alien and Aliens, I love both of the movies, but they're so different, and I watch them for different reasons. The first one is more 2001 Space Odyssey, like Kubrickian almost. Like It's like silent, eerie slow killing like almost like a noir in space yeah <laughs> i don't know if i'd go that far with kubrickian but it's For the first it is one? more of a it's a straight up horror movie yeah oh, okay it's, a, yeah, it's yeah. more of a monster movie yeah yeah and then you the have the s- characters going off by themselves when they really shouldn't yeah you know <laughs> that kind of shit but then the second one is like it's just it's the essence of james cameron that movie it's it's just everything about it is so entertaining nothing is like ham-fisted or like shoehorned into there even though it has the potential to to get that way right because he's like i'm gonna make a blockbuster actiony sequel to this first movie that was kind of a muted horror but he does it like so well like i don't know the it's funny 
That movie is hilarious. The beginning few scenes where you meet the Marines and their training, you know, and Vasquez and her doing her thing. Yeah. And like the movie is fucking hilarious. But it, it, I don't know. I don't know what to say about Aliens, dude. The, so it's just perfect. It's, it comes from an era when sequels could be done correctly. Where you have, you, especially when you have somebody who's not the original director, right? Mm-hmm. You take the sort of premise of the original and then make a whole different thing out of it. You know, it's not Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Yeah. It's not like, they're not banking on nostalgia or like any of these new fucking awful Star Wars movies where they're just banking on nostalgia and have these like crap scripts that just shove these elements in. Mm-hmm. It's like a really good movie that stands on its own. Yeah. And that's why these sequels are good because they're their own movie. They're not just like, hey, remember Darth Vader? You like that? I know. You fucking cow. I dude, right? You know? It's like, it's all about just putting the butts into the seats. At this point with those films like Star Wars and that shit and Jurassic Park, the movie posters, like more attention will go into the movie posters and the promotion of the film than the actual film. Because once they make that first opening box office like 450 million, that first weekend, they're just like, whatever. (laughs) It's so strange. Dude, people eat it up, man. They They fucking eat it up. They do. They keep getting made. They keep getting fucking made. Um, But there's a point here as well where uh, that I I think is interesting, which is James Cameron. Yeah. Right? Avatar (laughs) 2 is coming out in like a year after 11 year hiatus. Mm Mm-hmm. And everyone you talk to is like, who cares? Who care about Avatar 2? Like, <laughs> nobody cares. It's not gonna, like, nobody... It's like, dude, okay. Number one, James Cameron has been working on this for 10 years. Number two, what does James Cameron do best? He mm-hmm. makes sequels mm-hmm. to things that were pretty good and makes them fucking epic. Yeah. <laughs> Point number three, there are three sequels planned. These, this is going to be huge. And point number four, if this does flop, it's going to be the most interesting flop in cinematic history. Three fucking Avatar sequels mm-hmm. for a total of like $80 billion or however much these are costing. I know. Directed by James fucking Cameron, who is the king of the blockbuster, like modern wise. I guess Spielberg accepted, but you guys know what I'm saying. Oh, 100%. Y'all know what I'm saying. He's James fucking Cameron. Yeah, dude. Like... like this is going to be interesting. This man has and been to the bottom of the ocean. They'll probably be pretty good. Like, let's be real here. Oh, as far yes, as it's like, been a long time. Yeah. Yes, it's been a long time since Avatar. But I mean, this is it's going to be it's going to be interesting. If you're going to especially Avatar, in this time when like the theaters are like dying. Oh yeah. The even the thematic elements of Avatar are kind of like, <laughs> you know, not necessarily reflective directly, but you can you can suss out some thematic elements that have also occurred in reality that you could connect to the film. But when it comes to Avatar, like I'm excited, but not like I'm not like excited because I'm not like I was never a fanboy about the film directly. And if you're going to Avatar to look for like a Philip K. Dick or Isaac Asimov, like high literature level of sci-fi, no. that's not what these movies are. However, going to happen with James Cameron, James yeah. Cameron makes like the movie. He makes the most like delectable movies. If I can put that out there as an adjective, like it's, they're just so good and they're so consumable <laughs> and like digestible. Like they're, yeah. I don't know. That's the point. That's the, so he is a genius at knowing what people want. Mm-hmm. 
He's a genius at making a movie that markets itself in the best possible way to to make the most amount of people love it, and yet still very often, like not feeling like it's pandering. It's authentic in a Michael yeah. Bay kind of way, or like a those Zack Snyder superhero movies mm-hmm. kind of way. It feels, I don't know. It's weird. It's it doesn't feel like genuine exactly. I'm speaking specifically like Titan. Fucking Titanic. Okay. Onward. God damn it. You were I'm still titan. sick, by the way. No, not Titan. <laughs> he did not make Titan. I was like, is he making a That'd sequel? That'd be very fucking strange. <laughs> With Sigourney Weaver? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but like Titanic was the big the big movie, and it it did that thing where it just availed itself of all the elements yeah. to make people like fall in love with it. And, you know... I don't know. I don't know what my point is here exactly, but James Cameron knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He really does. And he knows how to make people fall in love with his fucking movies. And they're always huge. Yeah. And if these aren't huge, it will be very, very strange. No. Yeah. 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 These like, I mean, they're all planned out until like, what? Like 2030. Isn't like, Oh my God. Is it that far? Let me see. I don't Let me know. Look him up. I mean, it's a- like three sequels. Are they making them all right now? Yeah. I, I'm, let me see. Fairly certain. Yeah, they're filming. So Avatar 2 and 3 are in post-production. Avatar 4 and 5 are filming. Dear Lord. So yeah, up through 2028. He's like really in on this. Fucking four sequels, Alex. And people out there, four sequels. I mean, he is the king of sequels. People talk about. People are talking about Tom Cruise being like the savior of the movie plexes right now like the only thing that can draw people away from marvel mm-hmm. hopefully but maybe it's avatar yeah we will see although i mean it's avatar kind of exists in my mind sort of simultaneous to disney movies and superhero movies i was gonna say not, like the venn diagram of people right who yeah who are, who right. it's almost a circle but yeah <laughs> like pretty much no, I mean, I wasn't even, how do I say this? I don't know what it was about Avatar that, like, I really liked. Obviously, the the CGI and the graphics and the beauty of the world. Everyone was, like, really drawn into that. The story was, like, pretty traditional. Like, it wasn't, like, anything oh. crazy, right? Like It was, like, the easiest story ever. It's, like, Dances with Wolves. Unobtainium? Like, yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> you have your fucking, you have your, like... You have your military guy who's like, I'm evil military guy <laughs> with his cigar and his like knife. And you're like, okay, you know, this is, this is fucking generic. The unobtainium thing is actually kind of funny because I feel like there is kind of a trope with scientists and like naming things like, or certain effects where they like lack the creativity to give it like a cool name. So they're just like, you know, fuck it. We're just going to give it this name. <laughs> Real weirdonium. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if any, if we have any scientist fans, name something that, please. <laughs> Maybe Real a bird. Real weirdonium, like a new newt. Yeah, and a newt that'd be good. Yeah. Um. Okay. Maybe that's enough. Cameron talk. We have many more films to go through. <laughs> I think this will just be our episode today. I don't think yeah. I have the energy. No, for yeah, that's the other fine, one. I was gonna say I'm I'm yeah. free until the nineteenth. So. Yeah. Um. Okay. So moving on from James Cameroon, we have Constantine. Hell you, yeah. You, you kept bringing up Constantine, and so did some of my other friends. 
And so I was like, I need to watch this movie finally. Mm-hmm. And in watching it, I realized that I had already seen it. <laughs> okay. But but a very long time ago. Got it. I couldn't remember. But I was like, oh, it's got a fucking Shia LaBeouf as the the kid in there. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I've seen the this. sidekick. And I remembered Keanu Reeves smoking. Oh. And just yeah, nonstop. It was fun. Like it was a fun movie. It is. It was a really fun movie. It's it operates in the same way as like Hellboy, you know. Yeah. So <coughs> a lot of those, um, yeah, a lot of those movies. It does actually like, that's a good point because I was going to say there's a certain wing or sect of my family that is like very religious and they don't get out to the movies a lot. You know, they're the kind of people that are like Harry Potter is not good for society. So it's like, okay, whatever. Oh yeah. But Constantine, okay. Constantine is a movie that for some reason can bring the like most left radical <laughs> godless fucking heathens of my family onto the couch and my like very conservative right-wing religious parts of the family and they both just fucking love it you know the right wings are just getting off on this whole like religious justice thing <laughs> and fucking my other side of the family is just like i don't know it's just a fun movie with rachel vice Peter Stormare yeah. and the whole depiction of Satan is fucking amazing. Like when he Demon Hansu is in like there. Comes down from the fucking sky like dripping oil and shit. Um but no Tilda Swinton as well as uh Gabriel. Yeah. She's fucking Gabriel. wild in that in that role. Like Yeah. She's dude, she's great in everything. Oh, she's perfect. Let's, let's choice. give it up to Tilda Swinton. She's amazing. Yeah. Like Um but yeah, no, the movie the movie is like a, a satanic fucking like monster movie yeah like action movie but it also is like verifying the belief in god and like has that whole aesthetic right so that makes perfect sense how it can draw in both because it's like he's fighting against the forces of evil and is like redeemed and god and heaven exist so it's like it's perfect canon it's perfect for for somebody who's like religious yeah i don't know what it is about this film I'm never going to be one to accuse Keanu Reeves of having really dynamic range, but this movie, for some reason, he stood out like more than he, I mean, he didn't stand out. He hid into his role more than I've seen in most other films, even more than John Wick. I don't know what it is about. Like he has this, like, uh, it's like this badass like to badassness to him that Keanu doesn't usually play up. I feel like he's more of the time more of like the innocent or the vulnerable hero going to like point break or even John Wick, you know, like his dog died and he has like this cause that he's doing this for. John Constantine is like this totally different cynical, like postmodern take on fucking most of the characters that Keanu Reeves has played. And I thought he did really well. And I'm not usually one to like get behind Keanu Reeves on the this thing, but it's like one of my favorite movies from him other than speed probably. I had that thought as well. I thought to myself, this is 2005, mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves, long before he sort of like reinvented himself with John Wick. And I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. This is a perfect Keanu Reeves role. Yeah. It's a perfect role for him and he embodies it perfectly. I loved it. <laughs> and it's, you know, the the Matrix movies, it took me a little while. It took me some years to sort of like accept him as Neo. I, I don't know if that's the right word, accept, but... He was kind of a meme for a while for being Neo. Oh, 100%, dude. And we've all just kind of embraced it through the lens of history. We're like, yeah, Keanu Reeves, you know? I mean, okay. 
to go on Keanu Reeves really quick. I mean, I know we're getting real into the individuals here, but whatever. It's a chat cast. Whatever. Right? It's a chat cast. Yeah. So, chilling. dude, imagine turning in performances like fucking Claudio. No, no, he didn't play Claudio. Excuse me. He played the villain in um, Much Ado About Nothing. Like, you're putting him up in Shakespeare up against some huge titans of acting. Anthony Hopkins is in that movie. You love bringing this movie up oh, when we talk about Keanu. Dude, we're going to watch this movie, I swear. Like, Michael okay. Keaton's in it. I haven't seen it. Denzel's in it. Um, so there's a, so many good actors in this film. And then they have Keanu trying to play, like, the villainous Shakespeare role, who needs a lot of charisma, you know? And he's there's a lot of screen time for Shakespeare's villains. And it just totally flopped. And then he turns in Dracula, right? And he's just, like, the worst... English oh, accent since so Dick Van Dyke. Bad. He's so bad. And but imagine just being oh. like still that good of a person or that like genuinely viable actor to work with and person to work with that like his career didn't really die. He's so likable. Dude, like he's the anti Jared Leto. Oh my god. Yes. We'll talk about yes. I think we'll talk about Keanu again when we talk about Morbius. One hundred percent. That's a perfect like Jared comparison, Leto. dude. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Uh, but yeah, it, it's just crazy. I also thought Rachel Weiss was great in it. Um, I've always had kind of a little crush on her ever since The Mummy. But uh, yeah. Oh, was that was that her mm-hmm. from The Mummy? Yeah. I was like, where do I know this actress from? So I just think of her as like 90s actor, t- like early 2000s actress. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. The Fountain. That movie's fucking weird. She's in The Lobster know. as well. Another strange. Oh, she's movie. in the she's in the Black Widow. Oh yeah, Great. she is. I have I have not seen that. Speaking of superheroes, um, but yeah, then you move on to the next one. Yeah. Constantine, great movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Yeah. It's fun. You can watch it if you're a devil devil boy like us, <laughs> or if you love the Jesus. Exactly. <laughs> somehow equally equally like interesting. Yeah. Moving on to something very different. I think this is where. I was like, I'm going to watch something that's like artistic after three fucking action movies. <laughs> um, I watched Blood Simple. Okay. The uh, the very first film from the Coen brothers from 1984. Oh. Francis McDormand, M. Emmett Walsh, some other people. And uh, boy, oh boy, is it great. Was it? It is so great. It is. I think it's maybe one of their best movies, honestly. They don't think so. They've kind of disavowed it, but it's, I think it's like an amazing representation of auteur cinema in the 80s. Like, and some of the greatest American filmmakers finding their voice and finding it so strongly right off the bat. Not only does it have that sort of like dark tonality that they love, but it it also has that comedic element. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's, it's almost like a comedy of errors. And you, as the viewer, are you can see the the full picture, but none of the characters can, and so you just see them bumbling through this series of crime events, That's and fucking up so horribly. And it has that that nature where it's like the Coen Brothers are they kind of like these characters, but they're also laughing at them at the same time. Uh huh. It just has this. It's like this strange version of dark Americana that is specific to the Coens and it's like unfiltered because it's their first movie. Okay. It's really interesting. That is interesting. And like, I mean, I like, I'm looking up the the film right now. I've never seen it. Uh, came out in 84. 
um, yeah. at the New York Film Festival. But it, they they took the title from a Dashiell Hammett novel, who I really like. Uh, Dashiell Hammett wrote The Maltese Falcon. Um, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense actually. Does it? Does it have like? I mean, he he's considered almost like the like prototypical, you know, written literary inventor of noir or at least detective noir um but you know i was gonna say something about the coens they're like i personally feel like they have totally carved out their own american film genre like i don't know what to call it exactly but like you you were just talking about it and we've brought it up when we talked about inherent vice right there's this weird comedy of errors a weird direct like communication with the audience or representation of audience confusion on screen. But then there's this, like there's always this element of crime and violence and things that usually in American cinema are taken very seriously. But the Coen brothers do this beautiful way of, they don't cheapen it. They make it like humorous. But they don't take away any of the serious or like the graveness about the situation for me. It's a really weird tone. Yeah. It's hard to describe their tone. Yeah, I mean it's 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 like it is. It's literary, it's it's funny, it's mean spirited a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Like I have some friends who really love the movie Burn After Reading. Mm-hmm. And I like it a lot as well, but it is really mean. Oh yeah. And it's like laughing at these people who like go through this horrible, you know, series of dumb events. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's strange. I don't know. I it, I still, after seeing almost all their movies, I find it hard to categorize the Coens. Yeah. Other than to say they're like pretty masterful at cinema. Not you know? only that, storytelling as well, right? They're some of the best storytellers I would want to say in film today. Like when it comes to the plot line or the stories, I would read their screenplays. I would read their scripts and be interested. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, they adapt a lot of them. Um, actually, I don't know if that's true. I'm just thinking of uh, the fact that they adapted Cormac McCarthy, which is like, if you're going to do that, you got to have some chops. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, The Road, the film that came out with Vigo. I don't yeah. know who directed it. That that movie was great, though. I thought it did Cormac McCarthy like justice because that, that book, some of his essays and then some of his shorter stories are things that I've read. Still need to read Blood Meridian, but... Yeah, you do. But yeah, the Coens are... They will definitely go down and be be remembered for me personally, like very fondly. And they will definitely go into my like little, you know, list of almost untouchables of people who I will always respect. They're some of the daddies, man. If we're going to fast forward and assume that that our species survives this time, then, uh, (laughs) you know, they're going to be they're going to be up there, you know. They're gonna be up get up there with the Kubricks, and you know, it's just it's just a fucking fact. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's cool. I need uh, to check this film fun out. Fun fact: though. that movie it was it was actually remade by a director who I fucking love called Yimu Zhang. Zhang. Okay. Uh, I don't know how to say his name exactly, but Chinese director. Okay. Who makes some just gorgeous, gorgeous movies? But he remade it called uh, with the title "A Woman, a Gun, and a Noodle Shop." So I'm <laughs> gonna have awesome. to watch that. <laughs> it's not very well liked, but okay, whatever. I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> we'll get into. I mean, eventually one day we'll get into Chinese, and at least for me, more like Hong Kong cinema. Also yeah. very close to my heart. You know, it was interesting because my grandfather is he was ethnically like Cantonese on my mother's side, 
um, so all of that culture and everything that derives from like Canton is all goes to Hong Kong, right? It was like the center of the trading world for a very long time for China. And it was owned by England for a very long time in the British Empire. So you have this very cool and strange like mix of like cinema being held up as culturally important and also having things to take from Western influence, but also things to show Western film like, hey, you can make a film look like this XYZ. So I think it's cool that you brought that up because I would I would love to get into that era of filmmaking eventually. Um, a yeah. few directors from that era that I'm like really into, including some of, you know, Bruce Lee's like fight Kung Fu movies. Um, but a guy named Wong Kar Wai is like one of my favorite directors of all time. And he, he's from like that Hong Kong region of what, of uh, what movie might I, or, or people listening know in the mood mm-hmm. for love is probably his most recent one. That is the most well-known and it's definitely one of the most critically in the regarded mood for ones. Love. In the mood for love. Oh, it's, it's not, it's not mm, interesting title. Yeah. Not a title of a film that like grabs me. No, you know? it's, it doesn't rustle my jimmies. Yeah. It makes me think of like, uh, I don't know. The Notebook or something? It is. It is a definitely like a love story, but it's um, it's told and it's shot in a way that is like not the, the way that you think. Like it's the mm. furthest thing from The Notebook, even though it is like pretty much the essence of the theme is romance, right? Like it's, okay. it's just so different, dude. And the ending is one of the most powerful and impactful movie scenes I've ever seen in my life. Well, this is an interesting bridge. Because uh, speaking of Asians and love stories, oh hell yes! I also watched Old Boy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> also had That's perfect. It also had oh. a really impactful ending. Oh um, my! Maybe not in the same way as the movie you're talking about. <sighs> I don't know. No, let's do this. I also don't know if we should do Old Boy right now. <laughs> <laughs> should it just be its own fucking episode? I mean, we at could. some point. You could just let everyone know that he we've watched it and it's on the back burner. It's coming. Yeah. Like <laughs> Old Boy, we have some more movies to talk about right now. <clears throat> We're just gonna put a pin in Old Boy. Cause <laughs> I had never seen it. Oh my god. And I god. thought it was just gonna be like a revenge movie. Oh boy. Oh boy, was that a weird way to start my day. I know. Watching man. Old Boy. Just in the, in the doldrums of, of like fever. fever. <laughs> <coughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Um, but we'll you'll put a pin in that. Uh. Um, we also might put a pin in this next one because it's Battle Royale. Oh shit! You uh, watched I this? I rewatched huh? Battle Royale. Okay. What? I I didn't know that you yeah. watched this in in your sickness in this past yeah. past week. Oh dude, I'd watch fucking a lot of stuff. Damn. Okay. <laughs> I'm definitely down I, uh, to put a pin in this one, but hell yeah. Yeah, Battle Royale. We'll probably talk about it at some point. It deserves more time than we'd give it right now. For sure. So we'll skip over that. But if you haven't seen that, Battle Royale from the year 2000, Japanese film. Holy fucking shit. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect movie. Amazing. (laughs) Brutal. Ridiculous. Yeah. Anime, but insane. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Trigger warning. See, if you are in the United States. Big trigger warning. And, you know, our, our lovely society is in the throes of its death apparently collapse like whatever it is but there is you know images and whatnot of violence and children and things like that so just be prepared when you go yeah i usually don't give trigger warnings but for that one i'll give one (laughs) it is a movie about high school students murdering each other in cold blood yeah yeah um anyway 
Still a Knives great Out film. from 2019. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yes. Ryan Johnson, much better film than the fucking disaster that was Star Wars The Last Jedi. Um, same director? Interesting that so that's the same director, yeah. Oh, damn. But it's sort of a like a detective whodunit with Daniel Craig investigating this house full of character actors. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not in the logic of the film. They're just, you know, a family. But it's got, let's see who's in this. It's Chris Evans, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Tony Collette. Christopher Plummer, like all these amazing actors. Don Johnson is in it. And like Don Johnson is in it. And it's just about Daniel Craig, who is so impressive as not James Bond, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, my God. You could see the glee and like fun in his face playing this role where he's like, oh, my God, thank God I don't have to play this. But it's but it's about him. He's like a famous detective and he's trying to figure out what's going on with a with a death in this family. Mm hmm. And it's just all these character actors having a load of fun. The movie is just a load of fun. And like, yeah, like we're saying, Daniel Craig is not Bond. I saw him in something else recently too, Logan Lucky. And it might have been like one of the first things I've seen where he's not Bond. And I was like, holy shit, Daniel Craig is like a really great actor. Oh my God. Like, not that he's not good as Bond, but it's just i've never seen the range you know yeah because like when the girl with dragon tattoo came out i was like okay so you're james bond as a journalist cool but yeah i I mean i love that movie but it definitely didn't give daniel craig like the range and the freedom like you said and this film he's he's got his like molasses southern accent you know and he's all like all gentlemanly and like intellectual and basically just like a southern sherlock holmes and the movie is like it's like clue Right? It's like the board game <laughs> it clue. Is, it is like literally clue. In the most yeah. but it's like so beautifully done and shot and like it the stylistically, like the set design, everyone's costumes. It is one of the coolest and like most original movies I've seen in like a long time. And it just shows how great you can make a film off of just such a basic concept that's pretty well known too. You know, like the whodunit thing goes back to eighteenth century or excuse me, nineteenth century like Victorian gothic Yeah, Agatha Christie. It's like a murder on the Orient Express kind of thing. Yeah, and it's beautiful. This film was like perfectly executed, and for me, it was really unexpected because I wasn't excited to ever watch this film. When I saw the cast and and the movie, I was like, hmm, whatever. But then when I watched it at home, I was like blown away. And I was like, I need to, I need to talk about this movie. I need to see it again. And then did you hear that like, close to 500 million dollars netflix has already pledged to have two more sequels made i saw that there were two sequels in development yeah i didn't know about the other part but it's a fuck yeah. ton of money dude for a company I mean, that is great. like i'm down i'm ready oh, to see yeah. daniel craig and more adventures as this guy it's it's sort of like what kenneth Branagh is doing right now I know. Where he, he's making these movies about him as poro i know <laughs> Murder and then Death on the Nile. But apparently these are better. I mean... I have not seen Death on the Nile. I, I don't know. I love this character of Benoit Blanc, you know? Like, yeah, detective. it's great. <laughs> it's it's great. Perfect. Yeah, so Knives Out, just go watch it. It's on Netflix. It's fucking fun. It's so much fun. Oh, wait, no, it's not on Netflix. Is it not? No, it's not a Netflix movie. But oh. you can rent it on Prime. I don't know. Find it. Find You know how to find things. You know how to find fucking movies. You yeah. don't need me to tell you. It will be on Netflix very um, soon. Once. Yeah, if Netflix still exists. Yeah. <laughs> um, Moving on. 
Okay, this movie, uh, I don't even know. So it's called The Devil's Own from 1997, starring Harrison Ford and Brad Pitt. Okay. And it has Brad Pitt as like an IRA agent, like Irish Republican Army. Okay. Who goes to America to like secure missiles and he lives with Harrison Ford, who's a cop. And then, like, things go sideways with Brad Pitt's, like, deals. And Harrison Ford finds out about it. And, like, they have their, their little showdown. Whoa. And um, it has, like, some really questionable dialogue. Okay. That sort of, um, it rationalizes the IRA okay. sort of thing. Okay. Which, I, I don't really have thoughts on that either way. I don't know enough. But Brad Pitt himself has called it the most irresponsible bit of filmmaking, if you could call it that, that he's ever seen. He fucking despises this movie. Really? It was not critically liked at all. <clears throat> um, I thought it was actually pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. I seem to like it more than critics or audiences. But I think I just, I really liked the interplay of Brad Pitt and Harrison Ford. I thought that was fun. They They did a good job. And... Regardless of political ideology, the speeches that are given can be kind of like likened to any other thing because it's basically the crux of it is Brad Pitt's father is killed in front of him when he's a kid. And okay. you can sort of think about it as any author authoritarian government anywhere coming in, killing your family, telling you you're worthless. And like, what are you supposed to do in the face of that? Mm -hmm. Like, is it justified to be violent? I don't know. Interesting question. Yeah. And I thought the movie like grappled with that decently well. Okay. It's not super deep, but Dude. I don't know. It was weird. That's a great point because I mean, when it comes to that the the Irish struggles and the Irish against like the British and the English, I mean I've I've actually like read a lot of books about it. I'm kind of interested in like the conflict. Definitely more aligned with the Irish plight, you know? Um Yeah. But no, no, no. I mean, I like, so I like it more when movies bring up this I idea and this weird like thing where it's like, how far are you willing, allowed, and is tasteful, you know, and palatable to society to go? Like when, when it comes to like your cause and like, even for me, like I totally get where they're coming from and the atrocities that the British have committed on the Irish are tenfold. You know, but yeah. over the course of like history and things like that. However, it's hard to stand in line behind the guy who like sets off a car bomb that that kills like 20, 30 innocent people, some children who, who have nothing to do with the, with the conflict. Right. And right. I get like some people are going to be as radical enough to say, well, that's what we meant to do is like to send a message so they'll listen to us now. But it's I don't know. It's interesting, but the way you described it at the beginning, this like father revenge thing, it reminds me of uh, Gangs in New York almost with this like Irish background thing. Uh, right. Wait. It's not nearly as well done as that. I have one question <laughs> really though. Yeah. Does Brad Pitt do an Irish accent? Oh, full on. Okay. Okay. I got to see this movie. He caught a lot of shit for it. I guess, but apparently, and this is just from IMDb facts, um, I guess like Irish people didn't think it was nearly as bad as a lot of Hollywood Irish accents. Okay. 
I, I, I had the I had that question throughout the movie. I'm like, is this a good Irish accent? I don't even know. Or is this Lucky Charms territory? <laughs> it's <laughs> not for me to judge. I really don't know. Okay. Um, but but it, it that is an interesting point that might make you want to watch it. Oh, I right? definitely want to watch it, dude. Fucking Brad Pitt doing a full on Lucky Charms. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He was known for the nineties, like Keanu Reeves, for just doing a bunch of these crazy accents and like being really bold about it and like Yeah, wasn't he like an Australian oh, dude, in one of them? There's an Australian one. There's one where he's English. There in Meet Joe Black. It he he does like the patois, I think is how you pronounce it, the Jamaican like yeah. accent. Like, dude, it's a, it's an, it's an, it's an interesting movie. That movie is like a, I don't know, it's like a romantic. It did Jamaican? The fuck? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta see this for like a for a few scenes. Now. Like, okay, yeah. The premise, Not the whole movie. The premise is that he is like death incarnate in this beautifully handsome man that is Brad Pitt, and like death yeah. decides to take some time to stroll around on Earth because he thinks it's interesting. So he like falls in love with a girl. And he's attached to Anthony Hopkins, who's like the guy who he's supposed to take into the afterlife. And he's like, you know what? I'll give you like a few weeks because I want to try this like life thing out for a little bit. It's an interesting <laughs> movie. It's like three hours long, but there's this scene. Really? Oh, it's so long. There's this. It can't be that long. I'm calling bullshit. Is it? I'm calling bullshit. Meet Joe Black. Oh my God! It's three hours. Long. Is it okay? I was like, dude, <laughs> it has right. to be so long. It's such a slog of a movie. Holy shit. Uh, okay. But he meets this Jamaican woman, you know, and like in a hospital and she recognizes him. She like sees through his facade and she's like, oh, my time is here. And he just goes full on into the, the accent. And it's, it's very All unsettling. Right. Oh, dude. Holy shit. Seven years in Tibet. <laughs> he plays like that Austrian seven years in Tibet. climber. Yeah, Austrian. Okay. That's what it was. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm curious what you'd think of this movie because it can you could easily like it or easily think it's fucking terrible or kind of be in the middle like me. Okay, you'd probably be in the middle. I don't know. I mean, I but. do really like Harrison Ford and like this this movie and like the era that it's coming out in seems like it'd be pretty entertaining to watch. I mean, it's giving me like fugitive vibes almost. Yeah, it's it's funny. It comes in that territory of movies that I'm not super critical of, the sort of like '90s actioner, like Heat, or it's like it's like these movies I grew up watching yeah. and loving. I just love the tone of that, like the '90s action movie. Yeah. So I'm like a lot more forgiving of it if I if I like the performances and the people in it. It's just like fun for me, you know. Oh, I totally get. It's a weird. It's weirdly nostalgic, even though I've never seen it. Oh, dude, it happens with me in movies all the time, right? You see a movie from like a time period when you were either a child or like, you know, young adult. Yeah, I mean, young adolescent teen, and it's like I don't know. You could have never seen the movie, but it brings back those feelings like really hard. Yeah, seriously. Well, I've got three more here. Okay. Um. I'm sure you've seen one of them. All right. Maybe two, but definitely not three. Um, so the first one is called Margin Call. I think I have um, seen this. By a director called J.C. Chandor, who I've seen, an, I've seen the movie he made after this, which is called All is Lost, and it's basically Robert Redford on a boat, and he says nothing, and it's really great. Okay. And then he made another really great movie called The Most Violent Year with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. Okay. Um, but this is his first movie. They made it in about like three weeks. What? And it's basically like 
it's amazing that this movie is as good as it is, especially for me because it's people in a bank talking about money and how money is like gonna go away. Basically, it's um the the early the early like 2008 financial crisis. Okay, it's like shadowing that at at like one investment bank, and it's got fucking. Zachary Quinto, Stanley Tucci, Paul Bettany, Jeremy Irons, Kevin Spacey, if that's going to trigger you, don't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) He's in there, but I mean, he's, you know, he's a good actor. Can't take that away from him. Um, And it's, it's really fucking good. It's really fucking good, Alex. And it's about a subject I don't know anything about or care about at all, which is like the details of finance. Okay. And it's, but it's all these people, all the people in this movie are so well drawn and so well acted that it's, it's kind of like the iceberg, right? There's just enough on the surface of all of these characters to point to a much bigger depth under the surface. And the way that they interact is great. The filmmaking is great. Um, I'll have to check this out. It's just great. It's, it's it, like I said, it's amazing that it worked as well for me as it did because I don't care about any of this. I just watched it because I like the director. There was a film that came out that I didn't like. Same deal. It's called Get, uh, or no, The Big Short. Which, oh, yeah. Which is like yeah, around, yeah. it's about the same like material. It seems like yeah. maybe The Big Short has like a little lighthearted, more lighthearted, like comedic It's tone. more of a comedy yeah. for sure. Yeah. But the cast of this movie you're talking about, Margin Call, is pretty stacked i mean zachary quinto stanley tucci kevin spacey paul bettany jeremy paul irons is fucking great in it jeremy irons is great in it. i love yeah. jeremy irons i don't know what it is like demi moore is in yeah there? i was gonna say mary mcdonald and demi moore both in it like there's some big time actors and big players in this film and it does seem to be like pretty well liked That's yeah and it's um it's a really interesting like sort of meditation or just not even meditation but showing how people lose their soul to greed but but in a way that's not judgmental either it's not like telling you that you just see it and they're real people they're just real people lost in the money machine Mm -hmm. figuring out how to get out of it alive that's cool you know and it's it's fucking cool it's really good and i recommend it i'll have to check that out okay margin i'm starting to lose my voice so let's keep going all right last two uh, number one is Cosmopolis oh, uh, by shit. David Cronenberg. Have you seen this? No. So it's a movie about Robert Pattinson in a car. And he's having conversations with people. Uh-huh. And it's very abstract. It's about money and society. And I thought it was really interesting. And I don't remember it very well already. I guess it's... I, I had a thought, though. And I was like, this feels like it should be a book not a movie and then i saw that it was based on a, a, a novel and i was like okay that makes sense oh because the the performances are all very wooden okay it feels like it feels like people are reading a script and i don't know if that's due to like just robert pattinson still being young like not really being a good actor yet or just the direction mm-hmm. it's very strange and it's it's sort of people dancing around through conversations, the philosophy of existence and money and society and like this idea that sort of money equals time 
It's very abstract. Damn. It's like it's like it's like a semi-successful adaptation of a high-minded literary text that kind of fails but is interesting. Okay. It did not make a lot at the box office, but I mean No, it would not. Cronenberg this is not is... a movie for for audiences. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say a movie for weirdos. Cronenberg is kind of immune to to that, right? Like if you if you're making a project with someone like him, you're <laughs> you're going to go into it knowing that it's like, okay, this isn't going to be like the cash cow that we're used to if you're a studio <laughs> no. or something, right? Especially this one. This one is is pretty lateral, hmm. left of center. He's got yeah. Julia Binoche in there. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. The the best part is the end with uh, Paul Giamatti. Okay. And it's it sort of, they have a really interesting conversation, but. He's a great actor. He He's kind of like up and down, I guess, Paul Giamatti. Like, but he's turned in some performances that have just been really good. And I think maybe sometimes it's gone a little stale, like his neurotic yeah. little thing that he has. But he still has the ability, in my opinion, to be a fucking great actor and you know it i thought you were talking about uh metropolis excuse me at the beginning of the conversation that's why oh, i said oh no. shit i was no, like no, no. damn you went back far i have seen that multiple times yeah i was like this is i mean this is like a titan of film history time like fritz lang you that know movie's like, cool because you can like <laughs> you can take some substances <laughs> yeah put it put it on mute and put on whatever fucking album you want oh, dude that's <laughs> interesting <actually a> great <laughs> idea <laughs> with some friends yeah Definitely. I mean, I've heard that people do that. Okay. I've never done it myself, obviously. <laughs> I am a clean boy. I've never touched a drop in my life. <laughs> drop in my life of anything. I'm a good lad. Uh, so that's Cosmopolis. It's weird. Watch it if you want to. I don't really care. Okay. I don't know. It's weird. Um, and the last one we have for today in this smorgasbord of nonsense talk going randomly off on topics. <laughs> As I lose my voice at the end of my sickness here <laughs> is Red Dragon. Oh, shit. I had never seen Red Dragon. Okay. I okay. have seen Silence of the Lambs uh, probably a dozen times. <laughs> I only finally watched Hannibal like last year. Yeah. And I don't remember it very well. I thought it was okay. And Red Dragon will probably fall into that category. Yep. But it's uh, but it's it's fun, you know. Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, even though it's brought up to like cartoon levels in this movie, where you're like, that's kind of Hannibal overload. I know. You know, like you're kind of dialing him up to twenty five <laughs> on the cartoon scale. Yeah, it doesn't feel like Hannibal. It feels like um, like a caricature of Hannibal. Mm-hmm. But that that performance by Anthony Hopkins is so fucking fun. It's so intense still. Oh. That it's it's cool. Yeah. And um and dude, Ray Fines. Oh, right. I didn't even realize it was Ray Fines oh, for know. a little while because he's so creepy and, and it clicked in my head. I was like, that's fucking Ray Fines. Dude. Holy shit. <laughs> and he was intense in that film. Like Yeah. Holy oh my God. Mother of God. Like I loved Ray Fines before I saw this movie and I was like, wow. I love him even more. I know. It was He's such great. a brooding role, the tattoo, like this weird, soft and like sensitive relationship he has with the blind woman. But I did yeah. I, I liked it when Emily I watched Watson. it. Because I was like, damn, like it just it almost added more context to the silence of the lambs for me. 
which made that film a little bit more deep and, and like rounded out for me. But yeah, I, I get what you mean about it like being somewhat middling, kind of okay. There were parts of it that felt like it was like kind of lazy. I don't know. And I don't know, while I think he's a great actor, I don't know how I feel about the casting of Ed Norton. I don't know how much he cared. Yeah, it didn't seem movie. like he was like, I don't know, like it was weird. Like maybe the bleach tips were, is what throws me off. But you know how he's kind of like, he's he doesn't have bleach tips, but he kind of has like the blonder hair in this film. Um, yeah. Something about it just seemed like I didn't buy him as like this protective like father figure, you know? But he played the detective aspect pretty well. Um, that scene where he he's like a... The family is, or Ralph Fiennes like holds him hostage, right? And yeah. he's like shouting at him all of his traumas about his grandmother and his mother and like all of that shit. It's fucking, ooh, that scene was wild. Yeah, and you got Philip Seymour Hoffman in there too. Wait, what? It's amazing that I haven't seen this movie because there's so many great actors in it. I think it's just I know that it was a Brett Ratner directed movie, and I was like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> but no, I, it kind of falls into like this category of what we were talking about with, um, oh God, what was it called? The Brad Pitt movie. Like the, where it's like, I don't action or, or no, maybe like the quick and the dead, honestly, mm -hmm. where it's like, I don't really care how great it is. Cause I had fun watching it mm -hmm. for all these other elements. So like the fact that it is stretching the source material so much in terms of Hannibal Lecter specifically. Yeah. And like some of the story beats and some of the messiness is fine with me because the tone is good. It looks pretty classy, surprisingly, a Brett Ratner movie, mm -hmm. but the performances carry, carry it, you know? Oh and yeah. It's, and I love the, I love that sort of like gore element. I just, I just love movie gore and stuff like that. Oh yeah. It, yeah, um, so it's fun. It definitely tried to like, sell the the like ooh Hannibal Lecter's back on screen thing you know like they could have toned yeah. that aspect down a little bit you can definitely see why they didn't make another one it feels like the end it's like where do you go after that yeah he's already just so cartoony <laughs> I know <laughs> um but yeah and that's our I've like almost completely lost my voice at this point oh man but that is our uh our uh well dude I've been sitting here for a week I coughing know, right come on it's like, um, but that's our that's our hangout episode for now. Yeah. Where we just talk about a bunch of junk. Um, what's our big takeaway here, Alex? Movies are big projects. You know, cinematography editing does a lot for the final product. Um, and I don't know, James Cameron, baby. And like James Cameron, baby. Don't watch Margin Call if you don't want to see Kevin Spacey's face. Yeah. Um, definitely see but old otherwise boy. it's really see. good definitely watch old boy yeah. and uh and uh battle royale yeah we have to talk about these at some point oh we will and uh blah 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 thanks for hanging out real weirdos one and a half white dudes with english degrees talking about movies for way too goddamn long you know it next week or later this week i don't know when but our next episode, I'll just say that, our next episode will be Iron Morbius, where we talk <laughs> about the original Iron Man mm -hmm. and Jared Leto thinking he's awesome, but really not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you all next time. Have a good one, folks. <laughs>